Welcome to the good, the bad, and the horrible. A weekly podcast where OG millennials have honest and candid conversations about dating, sex, yes, butt stuff, relationships, entanglements, and everything in between. Starring your host, Scarlett Print. Pull those anal beads out slowly. This is not a lawnmower. You don't want to hit a snag. <laughs> and featuring guests, Lila Moon. Please, for the love of God and everything holy, do not say my <laughs> name during sex. <laughs> and occasionally emerging from behind the scenes, the producer, Spider. Kinky is using a feather. Perverted is using the whole damn bird. <laughs> I'm here with Lila, Lila Moon. Hello. I think actually amongst all the personalities on this podcast, I probably relate to you the most. You think so? I feel like you and I have similar hangups when it comes to sex. Possibly. You know, I haven't had the physical obstacles that you've had. But I think even now that you've gotten beyond those, you still have the obstacles. Mental. Yeah, the mental obstacles when yeah. it comes to sex. For so sure. I feel like if one of us can figure it out, we can, can help, help the, the other. other. <laughs> hey, you're the one going to a new therapist. Maybe he's yeah. got some suggestions. Maybe. Maybe. I'll let you know. Okay, if, I, if I unlock the secret to coming like Vixen does. Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> So we definitely got to dive into that. But yeah. I mean, so much more. This episode is about you and about listeners getting to know who Lila is and what you're about. Okay. And hopefully you'll be vulnerable and let us see who you are. Yeah. That'd be great. Yes, hopefully. So start us out from the beginning. You were born here in Texas, right? I was, yes. I was born in Bedford. I have a twin brother. So what was that like having a twin? It was great. We were like kind of best friends growing up. We're really similar personality wise. We don't look anything alike, but we have very similar personalities. So and we were, were there other siblings in the mix or were we you have, going to? We have a little sister. Okay. And then our parents are divorced, but they got divorced a little bit later. We were probably 13, 14 when they got divorced and they both remarried. So we have step siblings, but they were old enough that we never lived with them. Mm, gotcha. Okay. So, Mostly just the twin and the little sister. So what was that like having your parents split up at age 13? I feel like in terms of divorces, as far as those go, we had a pretty good experience as far as that could be good. Did um, you see it coming or no. was this a total shock to you? They took us to Dairy Queen on the last day of school when I was in sixth grade. And we're like, we're getting a divorce. And we're like, what? Wow. So we did not really see it coming, but they didn't fight. There wasn't a lot of turmoil going on. Their divorce was pretty amicable. They kind of grew apart. They didn't want to be married anymore. What kind of feeling did you have when you heard that news in the Dairy Queen? <laughs> it was kind of just like, you couldn't do this at another time. Uh, you just ruined the last day of school high for me. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> like, pick a better day. My God. <laughs> That feeling only comes once a year and you're on no it. Kidding. No kidding. And I was thinking at Dairy Queen. I mean, I know, that's like, like an emotional some, thing to bring up here's in public. some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the bad news. Here's some ice cream. How do you feel about Dairy Queen these days? Do you oh, still I still, go? yeah, okay. I still love it. I don't have any it. trauma surrounded, you know, in the Dairy Queen. <laughs> I mean, now looking back, I feel like it was the best thing that could have happened. They would not have been happy staying together. They got married so young. And, you know, you just become a different person as you grow older. And they weren't really super compatible to begin with, mm. to be honest. And so they were both much happier apart. And like I said, they were very amicable. They co-parent very well. That helps a lot. So were you doing the split custody situation where you were having to go from one house to the other at certain times? or We got to obviously decide who we wanted to live with. We decided to live with my mom, but my dad didn't move very far. And he was a firefighter, so his schedule was like 24 on, 48 off. He still like took us to soccer practice and a lot of stuff, picked us up from school because he was the one that was off because my mom had a normal nine to five everyday job. 
So we got to choose who we wanted to live with. And then there wasn't a formal custody thing. It wasn't like every other weekend you have to go spend the night with your dad Mm. type thing. It was we got to choose when we wanted to go spend the night with him. I mean, I think that they kind of behind the scenes decided on the holiday kind of situations Mm. or at least like, you know, your dad wants to do Christmas on this day, but he also had to work some Christmases. So we didn't do Christmas Day anyways. Mm. So sometimes it was just like your dad wants to do Christmas on this day. So y'all are going to go over, spend this night with him, whatever. So you got two Christmases. Yeah, always. So how was it whenever your parents found other partners? Was that weird for you? Kind of. It happened pretty quickly, both of them. They were both remarried within a year and a half of the divorce. And they actually got remarried within like four months of each other. Wow. Actually, yesterday was my mom and stepdad's like 16th anniversary. So wow. Happy anniversary. It was a little odd, especially a little contentious with the mom and stepdad situation. I think probably just because we lived with them and teenage hormones and things Mm. like that. My stepdad's a great guy. Awesome guy. But that was just a rough time to be in general and then throw him in the mix. He has one son, has never had daughters before. So it was a learning curve for him, for us, and just trying to live together. There was some rough times. It was much better when we got older, especially once we left the house and weren't living under the same roof anymore. My brother and sister both have kids. He loves those kids. Like they were his own grandchildren. Oh, Yeah, great. My stepmom never really had a problem with her, but probably because we didn't have to live with her. Mm. (laughs) But she is just a sweet, quiet, unassuming woman. They both kind of picked very different people than each other, which is a good thing because they weren't very compatible Mm. to begin with. So even today, my mom's family is very close and we do a lot of things together as an extended family. My dad still comes to those events and my stepmom. My mom and stepdad full-time RV. So when they're in town for like the holidays and stuff, if... We're all over at my dad's house for dinner. He invited us over. He'll invite my mom. That's awesome. It really is. It was honestly, like I said, the best situation for us. I never felt like super angsty about the divorce, Mm. if that makes sense. I feel like it went as well as it could have. So what about middle school, high school? How did that all go for you? Oh, it's super awkward. (laughs) Super awkward? Yes. I mean, I feel like that 11 to kind of 14 age range is super awkward for everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like anyone has a (laughs) non-awkward time during that, especially since when I was in middle school, for whatever reason, my school district cracked down on the dress code for just those grades, just middle school, not elementary school, not high school, just middle school. So we had this super strict dress code It was like almost uniform, but they didn't provide uniforms. They just said, this is the criteria you have to stick with. So it looked freaking weird. But then when you got to high school, they were like, fuck it, whatever, wear whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So never really really got the logic there. So that was awkward having to wear those things. I was kind of a tomboy. Why is that? I don't know. I think it is partly because I have the twin brother. So I was always, you know, with him when I got older and like I felt like years behind the curve on my peers on these things. So like, I don't know what to do now. Mm. So it was kind of like stuck with the status quo at that point. Yeah. So you talked about before on the podcast, the physical structure or physical challenges that you've had when it's come to sex. You even talked about how you struggled with tampons. So I'm assuming somewhere in this middle school age is probably where you're starting to discover these issues. Or did you know before that? No, I did not know before that. So I got my period the summer before sixth grade. So I was probably 12, 11, 12, that age range. I didn't really try to use a tampon at that point. I was fine with sticking with pads, whatever. I think the first time I tried to use a tampon is when we had a school field trip to a swimming pool and I got my period and I was like, I want to still swim. I want to do these things. So my mom was like, well, you can swim if you use a tampon. And she just handed it to me and was like, and I tried for maybe 30 minutes to do it. And I couldn't do it. And I was sobbing because I couldn't do it. And it just hurt. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. It just, every time I tried, it was just like, it hurt trying to force something in there. So I didn't really try much after that. There were a couple times later on, years, years later, 
that I tried again. It was always some event that I didn't want to be on my period for. Didn't want to wear the pad that felt like a freaking diaper. I didn't want to wear it. I wanted to, you know, so I tried and every time could not do it. It would always break down crying because I just felt like such a failure. Like, Like I'm supposed to be able to do this. Why can't I do this? When did you first have sex? And when you did first have sex, were you anticipating that same sensation from the tampons? Like, did you know going into it, this is probably going to hurt? I was really hoping not. I kind of knew it was going to hurt because I was a virgin and like you have all that around there. It's supposed to hurt your first time, whatever. So I kind of felt it was going to hurt in that way. I didn't anticipate it hurting the whole time like it did. And how old were you? I was 24. You waited a while. I did. And was that intentional or was that something that just never came about? It just never happened for me. It wasn't super intentional. I mean, I was more into church as a teenager, that whole virginity. Purity culture. Yes, exactly. But I never really had much opportunity to be, quote unquote, tempted to do that Meaning in high school. Meaning what? You weren't pursued? I was or... not pursued, seriously, at all. Did that give you a complex? Yes, absolutely. So it... you felt a lot of self-consciousness over that? Self-conscious, undesired. It was just... I don't know. That was in my mind. I was like, nobody has asked me out. They don't want me, you know? So I don't think some of the tomboy stuff was playing a role in that. I think it was a combination of a lot of things. I wasn't super, super tomboy in high school anymore. I was still a little bit, but not to the extent I was when I was younger. I think it was a combination of mostly growing up with all of those people. I went to the same school district for my entire life. So by the time I was in high school, I'd been in school with most of these people for 10 plus years. Mm. So we all knew each other, super familiar, grew up together. And then also the combination of having the twin brother. So all of the guys, you know, that were my age and my grade were friends with my brother. And I think there was a little bit of that like kind of bro code thing going on where you don't pursue your friend's sister. I think it was a combo of both of those things. I don't really know for sure. I do know that at my 10-year high school reunion, I had a bunch of people asking me out. And I'm like, where the fuck were you 10 years ago? <laughs> Not so scared now, are you? <laughs> Not interested anymore, guys. <laughs> That's hilarious. Did any of them tell you how they felt about you back then in high school? They all like insinuated that they'd had crushes on me in high school. And I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Like, why didn't you say anything? Did you ever ask them? No, I never asked them straight out, but I bet they were intimidated by my brother because he is very good looking. He was very popular, athletic, smart, all of those cliques he was in. And so they were probably super intimidated by him, I'm guessing. Makes sense. Or close friends with him. Yeah. Like I said, and didn't want to encroach on that relationship. So did you go to college straight from high school? Yes. I went straight into college, straight into a four-year university. I didn't do the two-year to four-year like I maybe should have. That would have been smarter, but I didn't. (laughs) And why do you say that? Because I'm still paying for the (laughs) four-year. How did you make your decision on where to go to school? I'm still a homebody. I wanted to be close enough to home that I could come home on the weekend if I wanted to. But, you know, far enough away that I could start to be more independent I did not want to go hours and hours away. I know some people want to move states that want to be so far away from their family. That was not me. I wanted to be close. So I only applied to schools that were pretty close by and ended up picking one in Fort Worth. So 45 minutes away from my parents. So you wanted that safety net, not too far away. And then my brother, I mean, this was the first time that we'd been apart and he picked one in Dallas. So we were still pretty close, close together, but still apart for the first time. Yeah. And so how was college for you? Was that the first time you had been away from home for any length of time? Yes, it was a new experience, which I get kind of anxious about new experiences and the unknown about because I'm a planner. I like to envision how things are going to go. So when I have no frame of reference, it's super (laughs) scary. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. For those who don't know, Lila is the one that is always consistently 15 to 20 minutes early for anything. Yes. (laughs) Gotta account for traffic and for not knowing where to park and for getting lost. All these things. Yes. I'm much better than I used to be. I used to be super neurotic about it, but I'm much better now. Well, you're still consistently 15, 20 minutes early. So (laughs) you're still. If I'm ever not early, 
you better check on me. Yeah, yeah, no, for real. If you're not here, something is wrong. Yeah, something, right. So at 24 years old, when you're having your first sexual experience, or was that your first sexual experience, or was that just your first time having penetration? So I've only had two boyfriends in my life. And you're how old? I'm 30. Okay. Two boyfriends your entire life. The first one was in college towards the end of college. I was probably in my senior year college when this happened. And we lived off campus in apartments that were like catered towards the students still, but it was off campus. And this guy lived in the apartment below me. So we were super close proximity. And he was a little younger than me, which is apparently my type. I only go for guys younger than me, apparently. (laughs) He was, I think, two years younger than me. He had just transferred from a community college. We started out, he would just come over for movie nights with me and my roommate. And it just kind of developed from there. I was also his first relationship. So we were kind of like a blind leading the blind situation there. (laughs) How did that go? It was awkward. Made worse by the fact that he would always check in and be like, is this okay? During sex? During no, 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 sex no, no not during sex. Just like in if, general, if anything like sort of sexual happened, he would like not panic, but like freak be out about it almost. And afraid like, that you weren't okay with it. Yes. I mean, I respect the fact that you're wanting me to be okay with this. But the but constant, the constant yeah. checking in and reassuring you that I'm okay with this is draining me. Mm-hmm. So we did some stuff. We did not go all the way. It was not even close to all the way. Mostly just making out and hardcore petting type stuff that we did. And it did not last very long either. Doesn't sound like he was giving you wet pussy moments. No. (laughs) But he was my first kiss. I got my first kiss the day after I graduated college. Wow. And how old were you when you graduated? 22. 22. So your first kiss was 22 years old. Yes. And I mean... There's nothing wrong with that, but I felt like there you was something broken. wrong with yeah, yeah, like, why did it take this long? Everyone else got their first kiss when they were like 14, mm. 12, whatever. Like, I know for a fact my brother was making out girls in middle school, and it took me until 22 to get a fucking kiss. Yeah. So That'd be hard. It was. There was, you know, a lot of mental things. And I was like, I gotta learn all this stuff way later than everybody else, mm. too, now. So... Do you feel like that's hindered or helped from where you are now today? I don't know either, honestly. I don't think it would have helped if I'd started earlier. Mm. And I don't think that it necessarily hurt that I started later. It just kind of took a different path than some other people. But like, I think that it is a little more common than people make it out to be. Those of us that, you know, are a little bit more of a late bloomer don't really advertise that fact. Right. There's a tiny little bit of shame associated with that for no reason, but there is. So if anybody is, you know, like me, it's okay. It happens to the best of us sometimes, you Absolutely. know, the timing's just not right. You'd rather make out with somebody you actually like than just some rando on the street just right. to say you did. Exactly. Yeah. So that first relationship didn't last super long. We were officially, quote unquote, together for maybe two and a half months. Not a whole long. I broke up with him the week of Valentine's. Oh, no. <laughs> You're like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. (laughs) But I had graduated and moved back home. So we were like apart and we had gone like a whole week without talking. And I'm like, I don't even miss him. Wow. Okay, that's definitely a sign. (laughs) And I was, okay, for Christmas, I was so fucking mad. So he was so into Lord of the Rings, like super into it. So for Christmas, I got him this really cool leather map of... Middle Earth. Wow. It was like burned into the leather and stuff. It was freaking cool. And he got me a scarf and hat from Target. Yikes. And I was like, thanks. I feel like you stopped on the way here to get this. Didn't put any thought into it at all. That's a fail. Yeah. (laughs) Big time. That is my lowest love language of all of them. I really struggle with that. And I think my oldest daughter, that's her love language. Oh, yeah. And I feel so bad because even when I'm trying, I just don't have a clue. It's so hard when you're not wired that way. When that doesn't occur to you. Yeah. Like, you know, even when I'm trying to put thought into it, 
It's just, I feel like you're either wired for that or you're not. (laughs) Maybe so. And I mean, it's something that I really enjoy. So there's that too. And that's probably what it is, is that because you enjoy it, you'll spend the time. And I'm guessing being that you enjoy it, you're probably thinking about it all the time. Oh yeah. I have lists for people. Right. And so it's always kind of up in your consciousness naturally. Whereas a person that is not that way it's like you have to bring it to your consciousness. So if you're not wired that way and then you're trying to think of a gift with no context, then it's like last minute. Fuck. (laughs) I've got 24 hours. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Speaking for all. I also start Christmas shopping in October. Of course you do. Yes. (laughs) But even I know you don't just stop no. at target so there was very little thought put into yeah. the christmas present so that was yeah. also you know whatever so and i had moved back home we were farther apart and it was just it's time to break yeah. it off so yeah did that and it's fine so did not have any other relationship until probably two years after that we met at a wedding my college roommate married his childhood friend we are both in the wedding party and we kind of got paired up as you do on the walk down the aisle yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, we had met at the rehearsal dinner. So started talking or whatever. He asked me to dance during the party, whatever, the reception. But he danced with the whole wedding party. It wasn't just me. He was that kind of guy that he felt like if I'm in the wedding party, it's my responsibility to dance with everybody else in the wedding party. It's just like, that's what I'm going to do. So he did. But then he asked me for my phone number before he had to leave. But he was in the military. And he was stationed in California. Oh, and wow. he went back to California the very next day. So long distance thing. Long distance the whole time. So we texted that entire summer because they got married in May. So we texted that entire summer. I went to see him in California in September. My birthday is in September. So I so kind of went. So it's been building now for three or four months. Yeah. I called him my like almost boyfriend or something like that, because it was like, it felt like we were in a relationship, but we hadn't like put the word on it mm. or had the talk about it or anything like that. So I went to see him my birthday weekend in September. And that was the first time that we had really hung out with, you know, romantic intentions or whatever. And that was when we had sex for the first time. Did my, you my know first time. it was going to happen? I had a good idea. I actually got on birth control like the month before, just in case. Because I'm Cause you're a planner. I'm a planner. <laughs> And I am a just-in-case kind of person. (laughs) So I did. Was it in your consciousness that what I experience when I'm trying to insert a tampon could become a problem here? No, because I thought the tampon thing was that I just didn't know how to put them in correctly. I didn't really know or associate that with penetration. So I didn't really think that that was going to happen. Like I said, I thought it was going to hurt because of the virginity thing. I thought it would be a brief pain and go away. But it didn't. It was so. Tell me how this happened. Like immediately, you're feeling pain when he's trying to insert. Did he know you were in pain, or did you hide it? No, I think he knew that I was in pain, and he kept going. And he kept going anyway. Yes. And how did that feel? I don't even know. I am at heart a people pleaser, and I just want people to be happy. And I didn't tell him to stop. And I really thought it was going to get better. And it didn't. Did How I, bad was it? I really don't know how to describe it because it is a unique kind of pain that if you've never even come close to experiencing, there's nothing else I can really describe it as. If you've ever been dry and somebody tried to put something in, it's probably yeah. the closest that sounds awful. thing to it because I also don't really produce a whole lot of lubrication even when I am super turned on. I would think for him, then it couldn't have felt that great either. We had lube. Okay. And so, so he was lubed up. Yes. So it really wasn't a dryness issue at all. No, but that is the closest sensation. So sensation wise. Okay. To the pain that, okay. that that was. So it wasn't like so tight that he wasn't able to get in without a struggle or was he struggling? There was a little bit of struggle. The way he described it to me one time is like a Coke bottle. So the small opening, yeah. and then it gets kind of bigger. Okay. But that's what it felt like trying to get in. Okay. Was so it's the just the opening. opening. And then it got bigger. I mean, it felt bigger to him, at least once he got past that initial muscle squeeze, I suppose. 
Okay. So, but it was hurting me the whole time. Okay. But are you kind of still going through the motions and trying to pretend like you're enjoying it? Or were you not at all pretending? I was not really pretending. I never pretended to come with him at all. He knew that I didn't come, which was a sore spot for him. He wanted to, quote unquote, be able to make me come, but never did anything differently. To try and Did he ever go happen. down on you or do anything besides the penetration? He would occasionally. He felt bad asking me to go down on him if he didn't also go down on me. So it wasn't that he had enjoyed doing No, it was for a reciprocation mm. thing. And that's so hot. So hot. <laughs> and honestly, I don't like guys going down on me as much as I think other women probably do. Because for me, I feel pressure, so much yeah. pressure to come during that. And if I you don't. can't mentally, yeah, I was going to say, and if I'm you like, cannot mentally can you do get out of your head, now? it's not going to do anything no. for you. And it doesn't. So like, yeah, I enjoy the sensation sometimes, but I'm not going to come for that. And if that is your goal and you're just down there to try and make me come and you're like, God, why aren't you coming yet? And I'm like, oh, well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. No, so, if you feel that pressure to come, you're probably not going to ever. And I always there. felt pressure with him to come. So they got to the point where I was dreading having sex with Aww. him. And I'm like, this is not how it's supposed so to be. So looking back on it now, did you stay too long? Yes. Not just for the sex reasons. There were other reasons. I probably stayed in that relationship a year longer than I should have. How long were you together total? Four and a half years. And so. the whole time you're hurting every time you have sex. Every time. He knows you're hurting during sex. Yes. Is he offering any sort of possible solutions or trying Never. to try different positions? We did or... We did have different positions and there were some that hurt me less than others. There's one that's called prone doggy, I think is what it's called. Explain. I haven't heard of this one. So instead of being up on your like hands and knees... You're just flat on your stomach and he is behind you that way. So that position hurt me the least. Interesting. So we would do that fairly often or at least in that way. Do you think in some way it was that position kind of in some way helps you mentally or I, I was it think just... it was like the angle maybe or something. I don't think it was necessarily mental. Just like, I mean, I think a lot of women's favorite position is doggy just because of the angle of the penetration. Okay. But just the laying flat and the way that, you know, his dick size and shape or whatever, that was the least painful for me. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Don't know why. So is that what then was the go-to position at that point? That was where we would more than often end up. Like that was kind of our finishing position. But you never enjoyed it. There were sometimes I enjoyed it more than others. And I feel like a lot of guys get really turned on by kissing and making out. I do not get turned on by that. Are you a sapiosexual? I probably yes, maybe not as much as you, but I do. Yeah, need some sort of connection with guys to enjoy it. What about emotional connection? Do you have some level of the yeah, demisexual? It, it helps for sure. Because out of all the guys that I've been with, I actually ranked them the other day. <laughs> nice. And about half of them were just like one-time things. That... And almost all of them were at the bottom of the list. Ah, okay. Makes sense. So Makes total sense to me. The more often I was with a guy, the more connection I had with him, the yeah. better it was for me. And actually, the guy that's number three on my list, just straight sex-wise, is probably not that great and would be farther down on the list. But my connection with him and everything else is so good that it mm. put him up to number three. So, yep, I totally relate to that 100%. Yeah. You know, stimulating our minds, stimulating us emotionally. Yeah, the guys who get up and get dressed and leave immediately after sex, that is not hot. No, not to at me all, either. At all. So you and I are different, though, from most of the women that are on this podcast, because most of the women that come through here talk about how they want the guy to get up and go. They do not want yeah, them no, hanging around. I don't want that. I don't either. I like them hanging around. And I like to cuddle. I love it. Yeah. You know, my number two guy is one of the hidden quitting guys. He's just actually really good at the sex part. <laughs> um, but the number three guy, he's one that stays around for hours. will watch movies 
and just cuddle on the couch. He's very touchy, affectionate. So he's always, you know, Love that. caressing my back, heading my hair. Oh, my God. That's amazing. It is so good. That's almost a turn on for me. Yes. The hair yes. bedding. My God. Yes. He's really great at that. So for people that are wired like you and I, it's really that stuff that is going to give us the wet pussy yes. moments. It's not going to be and, the overt sexual acts. And to me, that is a kind of foreplay. Yes. It is not overt foreplay. Like you're obviously right. he's not touching me when he's doing those things. But that is priming me. Yes. For the rest of the stuff. Absolutely. And so for me, like if you really want me to enjoy sex and get going like that stuff has to start beforehand Way before you know it has to be the little touches and the forehead kisses and the cooking and all that stuff and then lead up into the actual yeah. you know yep main event stuff so going back to this relationship you were with this guy for four years mm -hmm. not really enjoying the sex all that much mm -hmm. he clearly did not understand what you were about he did not and i didn't understand my issue either so i'm not gonna put it 100 percent, you know on him um, so why do you think it is that you didn't think you deserved better i think it's a combination of things again partly the idea that a lot of most little girls are spoon-fed from the time that we are very little that you need to get married you need to have babies this is what you should do this is what you should want so I had that in my mind for so long. That, that you were going to marry him? That Well, that I was going to get married and I was going to have kids. And, you know, you can't be too old when you have kids. So it has to happen by this time. And da, 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 da. So like mm. you need to start dating. You need to blah, blah, whatever. And so part of my issue was getting past that and that mentality. Because if he had asked me to marry him within the first two years of our relationship, I probably would have said yes when I really should not have. Mm. Just not that I was desperate, but I felt like, again, that I couldn't do better. Does this go back to the people pleasing? Partly. But I think that I come from a line of women who settled when they shouldn't have. My grandmother did. I think my mom did to an extent. Just because there was the societal pressure especially for my grandmother, to get married. Is that also coupled with low self-esteem? At that point, probably, yes. Because again, like, I did feel very unwanted and undesired when I was younger like that, just because I did not have that attention. Um, and so this 24 to 28-year-old age range you're in, where this is only the second boyfriend you've had, mm -hmm. were you buying into the belief that if I leave... There's not going to be anyone else. To an extent, yeah. Or like, again, I like I didn't think I could do better than him. I mean, he pretty good looking guy, very smart, had a good career, all this stuff. So like he checked boxes on paper, but I know I could do better than him. Like mm. now I know that I could. But at the time, I didn't feel like I could. What was it that finally caused that to register with you? I think I left because I realized that I would not like my life if I stayed. Mm. Which you had to on some level know that before that, right? I think I justified a lot because I felt like I wanted these things and that he was the only one that was going to give it to me. But then I would think, am I going to really leave my whole life here for him? Mm. And that was a big one. I was like, if I marry him, what is he giving up? Nothing. I'm giving up everything for what? Awful sex the rest of my life? <laughs> Probably in the middle of our relationship is when I flip-flopped on wanting kids. And what was it that led to that decision? When my siblings had their first kids. And I love my nieces and nephews to death. I would die for them. But I saw the reality of what it really meant to be a parent when mm. they had kids. So like I saw the huge change in their lives and how difficult it was and taking care of an infant and all of this stuff. And I'm like, this is what I want? <laughs> this is what y'all been telling me I wanted this whole time? Did I really want this? And I'm like, do I really want this with him? That's also a big thing because my decision to not have kids was not 100% because of the kids. It's because of a lot of the relationships that I've witnessed seems like 
75 to 80 percent of the work gets done by the woman, by the mother, mm. and that the man gets to just skate by and be the fun parent. And I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> so I did not want to bank on the fact that I would find one of the rare men that is a full partner. So I was like, I'm just going to take myself out of this equation entirely. I do not want kids enough to Risk deal with that. that. So I'm out. And I remember when I first met you, you were just about to have your procedure done to have that become a permanent decision. Yep. And it is. It's permanent. And so now on the other side of that, by, I guess, a few months now, how are you feeling about it? Do you think you made the right choice? Absolutely. 100%. I do not regret it. There was a little bit of weird feeling right after. It wasn't really that I regretted it, but it was like that is no longer an option. And that was a weird feeling of loss, even though it's not what I wanted. But I'm fine now. <laughs> I'm, like over I'm, over I'm over that. I'm over that. It was just a little bit. Now, before you made that decision, did you struggle with whether that was the right thing to do? Not really. I've been actively thinking about not having kids for five years. And really what pushed me over was when I started to have more sex and the utter terror that comes along with <laughs> what if I get pregnant by one of these dicks? <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Like, do I want to have this guy's kid? Mm. <laughs> no, I do not want to be that statistic. But also the overturning of Roe v. Wade did have some impact on my decision a little bit. And I've had a couple of friends from high school that I'm not really close with anymore, but I'm still friends with like on Facebook and stuff that have been pretty open about their struggles with pregnancy and fertility. And at least two of them have had to have abortions because their lives were at risk because of the pregnancy. Like if they had gone to term, they would have died. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that situation mm. ever, especially with, you know, That's the tough. overturning. Because, like, then it becomes a situation of, like, are you going to let me die because of this law? So that was also a factor. I was like, okay, my next gynecology appointment, I'm going to ask my doctor what she thinks, if she'll do it. Because there are still a lot of doctors that have weird rules around that. And my doctor was awesome about it. She was like, okay. She didn't ask me why. She didn't Good for her. grill me at all. She said, this is the procedure I do. This is what it means for you in the future. Is that what you want? Yes. Okay, let's schedule it. And interestingly enough, the best reactions I've had have been from other women, generally from, you know, my age to about 50, have been like, I totally get it. If I was your age back then, I'd probably do the same thing. And these are women who've had kids. And the guys, the men do not understand. No, they don't. And, it's, and I will it's, say again, same, it's because they don't have no, they the don't have the parental same. burden right. that we do. So they're right. like, yeah, I want 50 kids. And it's not necessarily overt. I don't think no. there's any, you know, maybe there is. Not in my life anyway. There wasn't some sort of overt, you need to have kids before this age. I felt the pressure, whether it was self-imposed or just like you knew the drill. Yeah. You knew like, what you were supposed to do. I have do. To have kids before I'm 35 or I'm a geriatric pregnancy <laughs> or whatever the fuck they call it. And I'm like, that's always there yeah. in your mind. Yeah. And I came from a family where they did not believe in birth control. My mm. parents did not use birth control. I'm the oldest of six kids. Yeah. And so I was not at you know 21 years old when I definitely should not have gotten married. I did. And... So I think my mindset was, you know, that my parents would be disappointed in me. Well, that's a terrible reason right. to have children yeah. and not use birth control. But at 21, 23 years old, I didn't have a clue what I, I was doing. I think you have to get past <laughs> 25 to kind of start breaking free of those expectations and chains that are put on yeah, you growing up. I agree. Up. I agree, which is why when anyone tells me that they're getting married before that, it's like, please don't just wait. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah. After my boyfriend and I broke up, because, I mean, the reasons that I gave, you know, him and most people in my life were that, you know, we want different things. 
he wants kids and to get married and I don't anymore. And so it's for the best, you know, that we break up so that we can both pursue what we actually want in life. And that was true, you know, for me, like, I don't need to be married. Sure, if it happens, that's great. But that is not my life's goal. It's not a big milestone in my life that I am trying to pursue. Because I feel like if I make it that, that's when I'm going to settle. Yep. And I don't want that. That right there is gold. Say that again. (laughs) This is something a lot of women need to hear. Yeah. So I feel like if I make being married, being married, having a husband as my life goal or as a big, huge goal in my life, that that's going to cause me to settle for a guy that I don't actually want to be married to in the long term or need to be married to in the long term. And if I find a guy that I like, you know, we don't have to get married at all. Maybe we just live together or, you know, coexist or whatever. Marriage could happen or it could not. But like that's not the goal for me. So do you think you could practice that mindset shift that you had towards marriage? Do you think that could be applied in the bedroom towards orgasms when a guy is going down (laughs) on you in particular? (laughs) I don't know. That's a bigger shift, I think. But you know, it was a similar process, right? I think my problem is when a guy's going down on me, you know, during the moment that I'm thinking too much about it. But but isn't the same principle true? What you're saying about marriage, like if that is so much of the focus and like I need to get that orgasm, just like I need to get that But wedding. I don't feel like I have that expectation. I do but not. But you think the, the guy does. I think the guy does. And so ultimately you're still thinking about the orgasm. Maybe. But like, I don't go into any sexual encounter expecting to come or thinking that I'm going to. I just go in with the expectation that I'm going to enjoy the time that I have with him and whatever we're doing. There are certain things that I really enjoy that I like kind of guide him towards or ask for. But honestly, I've never even really been close to it. So I don't know. I think if I do find one that, you know, I do feel like it's going to be around for a little while that maybe I can just tell him you know, this is my issue. This is what I want to work on to try and achieve this. Yeah. Yeah. I could see where trust would be a big barrier for you if you're not feeling that. Yeah. That makes sense. Trust is such a broad term. Like, you know, I trust these guys on some level to give them access to my body, but it's kind of like an emotional trust. Emotional trust. Like I trust that they're going to be here for the long term. Yeah. I get it. I totally get you, girl. Yeah. So at what point did things shift for you physically where all of a sudden it wasn't painful anymore? Because you don't have the pain anymore, well, right? Well, there was no all of the sudden. Okay. It took a while. Okay, so it was a, a gradual It was a process. Shift. Okay. So after I broke up with my boyfriend, it was probably six or seven months after that, my sister came across these videos on Instagram and it was these women that were talking about their issues with sex. And she sent me one and she goes, this sounds like you. Because I was, you know, super open with my mom and sisters about my issues and the struggles I had. She goes, this sounds like exactly what you describe. Maybe you should talk to a doctor about it. And I was like, it does really sound like what I have. And I kind of started reading up on it. I'm like, that sounds exactly like what I have. So I was like, okay. And I hadn't been to the gynecologist in three years because going to the gynecologist hurts. I was going to say, yeah. If a tampon hurts, then I can imagine those tools that a... speculum fucking hurts. Yeah. (laughs) Now, did your gynecologist know, were they aware at all that it was painful for you? When I went to a new one, and it was the same one that my sister went to with her pregnancies, I specifically said that I was having these issues and I want to know how to fix it. So in a previous podcast episode, we kind of had touched on like you having to go to a pelvic floor therapist Mm -hmm. and you had to kind of go through a journey to get from painful sex to now, would you say it's pain free or is it just less painful? It is 98% pain free. There are some times that it hurts more than others. I think more of my dryness issue causes the pain now than the actual muscle spasms. But it is a thousand times better than it used to be. Nice. What advice would you give to a woman that might be struggling physically with the area of sex? I would recommend being super open with your doctor about it because gynecologists especially deal with these kind of things and they know a whole lot. 
and there are different things that can be tried. So don't give yourself up as a lost cause just yet. So like you have to go through the process to get the right treatment. And everybody that I worked with in this whole process, they were all super great about it. They were like, this is more common than you think it is. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This just happens. You didn't do anything to cause this. Just, you know, you're one of the lucky ones that this affects. So, but there are definitely things that can be done. Even just stretches and breathing that they taught me during the therapy can help if you don't, you know, have the money to go to the pelvic floor therapy and get the super nice fingering that they gave me every time. (laughs) Every guy that I have told that to, they're like, you got fingered every time. I was like, it was not pleasant. (laughs) Get that look at your face. They're like, how do I get that job? Like, no. You're not qualified for this job. Get out. (laughs) Well, and you've mentioned that you don't really normally enjoy being fingered. Do you have maybe some kind of PTSD? I think a little bit. (laughs) My ex, he thought fingering was his thing. So he, especially at the beginning, tried to do that. And I was like, I do not like that. Please stop. And so he never really tried again. So I think that kind of like threw him off mm. his game a mm. little bit because he tried to do that. I'm like, don't finger me. Don't do that. Can I just say it just shows how clueless he was. Yeah. Like he goes right to the thing that hurts for you the most. <laughs> well, this was before like before we even tried to have sex. We were just making out. And oh, that's gotcha. Why, like, okay. He, went, so he didn't know. To, yeah, no, okay. yeah, he didn't know quite yet. But yeah, he tried a few times. I'm like, that's not it. Don't do that. <laughs> So now, what is dating and sex life like? It hasn't been that long since that relationship of four years, right? It's only been a couple years? Just two years, yeah. So the last two years, it seems like you're making up for lost time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I did not start dating or seeking out guys with the intent of sex. I started with the intent of relationships but quickly discovered how much of a dumpster fire the dating scene is right now. (laughs) And in the past couple of years, it's just awful. So I kind of like gave in after a few months. I stayed away from Tinder for a while because I was like, I know that Tinder is for hookups and that's not what I'm looking for. So I was not going to give in and go to Tinder. I actually have found some really remarkable people on tinder like i don't buy into that i feel like you get what you're gonna go in it looking for because the people that are obviously there for hookups i don't swipe on them i feel like tinder actually is my favorite now but it's It's my favorite but it's because people are up front on tinder i think more up front than they are on the other apps that if they are just looking for hookups that's what they say say right they'll just say on the other apps they don't and so i was finding guys on the other apps that claim to want relationships or other things and then it was just about sex and i was like fine if you're only gonna look for sex then i'm gonna go to the sex app you know what that's a good point i hadn't thought of that because on tinder if you're going for a long-term relationship you look like the weirdo yeah (laughs) yeah I was like, you know what? If these guys are just going to look for sex anyways, I'm going to download the sex app. (laughs) So I got Tinder and went to town. And how has it been this last year? So it basically has been a year and... Oh, a year and change. Okay. Been pretty good. Slept with like 30 dudes. Making up for the last time. I would imagine you've learned a lot. Yes. About, you know... Myself, and especially because about a month after my fuck it realization is when I went to the doctor, started getting help, and it started getting better with the actual, you know, act of sex itself. So pretty early on, I actually started not having painful sex anymore. So like, felt like I could kind of explore sex for the first time. And actually enjoy And it. enjoy some stuff. So that was kind of freeing in that way, too, kind of. So it's almost like starting out as an infant, like yeah. trying to learn from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what do I like? Do I like these things? So has there been any promising guys or has it all just strictly been there, dick? It's been <laughs> mostly just strictly dickly. 
but I mean, I've been disappointed by some that I thought were going to be more or could mm. be more and it wasn't. So there have been some little mini heartbreaks along the way. So if a guy messes up, goes to whatever the first time and he comes back, we'll give him another shot. We have a talk afterwards. Like the, when he comes back, I'm like, okay, this is what happened last time. Why did you do that? Are we going to do this again? They always say no. And then they usually do it again. So after the second time, you're blocked and we don't engage. We don't engage a third time. So well, good for you. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself in this last year? I feel like I've gained a lot more confidence. The low self-esteem has gone away. I don't feel like I'm undesirable anywhere. I do feel like I can, you know, get guys that I'm actually super attracted to and not just settle for what I think I can have. That's probably been the biggest thing is the confidence. That's awesome. Good for you. So knowing what I know about you now, talking about just the fear of the unknown and like being unsure and not being able to plan, it's very interesting that you reached out to me to come on a sex podcast. Yes. So the way that you and I got connected was because I had put a post in a Facebook group. What was it when you saw that posting that caused you to overcome that fear of the unknown? I can imagine would have been very scary for you. I mean, a little bit. I think that also in this past year, I've kind of stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit in other things as as well. Just trying to not push myself, but like not let my fear of the unknown get in the way of trying new things. I think part of it was my journey in the last year. It kind of spoke to me in the sense that I had been exploring my sexuality. And it seemed like you guys were, you know, putting this positive spin on sex and people's experiences and kind of talking about things that most people don't talk about in polite society. And if you don't talk about things, nothing's going to get better. I feel that women do kind of have the short end of the stick when it comes to sex a lot of times. And if we talk about it more, maybe that will get better. I agree with you. And then also it was, you know, the issues that I had, I wanted to be able to talk about and let people know that they existed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do remember that in our initial meeting, asking you, what was it that compelled you to want to do this? And I remember you expressing to me how important it was to you to reach out to women that were in your shoes, yeah, experiencing what you were experiencing and not knowing that there was hope. Right. Because that to me was like almost the worst part was feeling like I was going to go the rest of my life with bad sex. When I broke up with my boyfriend, I was honestly to the point of I never want to have sex again. Like, this is not great. I only had it because I had to have it with him or I felt like I had to have Mm. it with him. I was going to ask you, did you have the mindset that if I don't do this, I'm going to lose him? Not really that I was going to lose him, but I did feel obligated to have sex with him. And there were a couple of times I tried to say no, and he like kind of guilted me into doing it anyway. So I'm like, I don't know. Did it make you feel used? Not at the time, no. Looking back on it, do you feel used? I feel like it was borderline sexual assault. Ah, interesting. You know, kind of knowing more now than I do then, you know, being guilted into having sex is not consent, you know? Mm. So there were definitely times where I had said no several times and he just kept asking and I just gave in to get him to stop asking. I mean, I don't want to say that he sexually assaulted me because I did consent eventually, but it was not freely given consent. It was Mm. guilted. So looking back on that today at 30 years old, that whole four-year relationship, how does it make you feel about yourself when you look back on having been in that four years? Are you proud of the way you handled it? Do you feel badly about yourself? What are your thoughts or feelings about that whole situation now? I feel like I shouldn't have ignored or reasoned off or justified some of the things that bothered me early on. Probably should have left. And the reason I stayed a year after I should have is because he was going through this training program for his job in the military and he was not doing super well. And I felt like if I broke up with him in the middle of that and he failed out, everybody would have blamed me for that. And he was a fairly sensitive guy, so I felt like he was going to take it hard. 
and I didn't want to distract him from the training that he was going. Yes, I know. You were a simpat. Yes, I was. (laughs) I own it. And I broke up with him two weeks after he finished that training. Well, good for you, girl. You finally stopped simping. Yeah. His mom still loves me and his mom still texts me. So looking back on it two years later and having gone through all these other experiences since then, do you still feel that compulsion to do things out of obligation? Are you still struggling with that? I still struggle with my pleasing tendencies. And I do feel this compulsion for especially men that I like to like me, even if I don't, you know, necessarily care a whole lot about them and like have to have a talk with myself. Like, why are you doing this? Have you ever gotten an answer to that question? No, I feel like it might come stem from the, you know, teenage years when I felt undesirable and I don't want to feel like that again. Mm. So I kind of avoid avoid that and try to make guys like me and want me, even if I don't think that there, you know, is a long term potential there. I still want them to like me. Do you think it could be summarized as a fear of rejection? Yeah, definitely. For sure. And what does it say about you to be rejected? I feel like if I was rejected in that way, that there's something wrong with me. You know, so like, what is it? Why did you not want me? You know, there's always that why behind it that I feel like I have a compulsion to know that I might not ever get an answer to. Mm. You know, and sometimes it's not me. Sometimes it's them. And their fear of commitment or whatever it is. Well, it could be anyone. It could just be incompatibility. That is also true. Yeah. There's a famous quote by Winston Churchill where he says, you have enemies? Good. It means you stood up for something. Now, this isn't exactly making an enemy, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of the same principle. Like if you're authentic to yourself, if you're living an authentic lifestyle, not everyone's going to like it. Right. Like if you're making friends and fitting with everyone, that only means that you're a chameleon. That you're, you're adapting being fake to someone. Right. Yeah. You're becoming a chameleon and you're fading in with the background of whatever you're in. And so if you're living authentically, it's going to just going to be people that are just like, it's not my thing. Yeah. And it's not. I feel like instead of chameleon, another good analogy might be a wallflower. Yeah. that you're just fading into the background of all right. these situations. You're not actually being a main character in any right. of them. Exactly. So like, which one do you want to be the main character of? Right. Go there. Right. And so feeling comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. to say, this is who I am. And there's going to be probably 90% or more of people that aren't into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, take any one thing. Take any one movie, take any one song, take any one color. How many people don't like that? Yeah. There's going to be a certain amount of the populace that loves it, certain amount of the populace that's indifferent to it, and a certain amount of the populace that hates it. Yeah. Does that make it inherently a bad song, a bad movie, or a bad color? No. No. It's just your preference. It's your preference. Yeah. So if you change the way you look that rejection it changes everything mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a scary thing yeah. you can be rejected and be completely at peace about it it's a work in progress and yeah. I, I think it's something i am again kind of behind the curve on because it you know took me so long to get to yeah. this point yeah it's still something that i'm continuously working on hey and you're only 30 years old yeah. you still got a lot of life to live only 30. so You're coming to realizations at 30 years old that even at 40, I'm just now trying to ponder and work through. So (laughs) you got 10 years on me. (laughs) Hey, having kids helps. I can only focus on myself. (laughs) Touche. Anything else that you would like the good, bad, horrible listeners to know about you? Not that I can think of, no. We covered pretty much everything in my romantic history, at least. Well, one thing I will tell the audience is that I told Lila before we started that she has veto rights to anything that gets said here, that she can veto it and say, no, I don't want that out there. So if you're listening to any of this right now, it's because Lila was willing to A, come in here and actually share it, 
and B, let it be published. So I'm super proud of you, girl, for doing this because a lot of people couldn't do it. Thank you. I'm proud of myself, too. You're awesome. I'm really glad you're a part of this. Me, too. I have such a good time with everybody. So with that, whether it be bad fingerings or tampons that won't go in or tight pussies or avoiding conflict, whatever struggle you might be encountering right now, you do you. Boo. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you love this, don't forget to leave a rating and review. To connect with us and ask questions, visit us at goodbadhorrible.com.